And welcome back to another edition of the Retirement Lifestyles Advocates Radio Show. I'm Jeremy Bolker, along with our longtime host of RLA Radio and a frequent keynote speaker, uh, four-time best-selling author. want to welcome in Dennis Tubergen to the program. And uh, Dennis, another week. We're starting here in the beautiful state of Michigan. We're starting to see some color throughout the state. And uh, at least those are some very good optimistic things that are happening in the state. How are you, Dennis? Good, Jeremy. Hey, nice to be back with you. And uh, certainly a lot going on, economically speaking, we need to talk about. Well, it, it is. And, you know, we might as well jump right into it here. And again, we appreciate you listening to uh, the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio show uh, heard all throughout the uh, uh, not only area uh, here in West Michigan, but the state of Michigan, across the U.S. and across the world, too, on a number of the places where you get your uh, podcasts. And uh, we do want to let people know, too, and we'll give you these websites throughout the program. But, um, you know, for the October record, report, request your report.com that's request your report.com that's great get in there it's real easy to sign up uh and then we'll just give a quick hint at the precious metals guide that's at plpmetals.com uh again p is in papa l is in larry p is in papa plpmetals.com uh, with that but uh, as you're tuning into this program too you definitely shouldn't let these resources go by the wayside it's some excellent information that can really uh, inform you about the background of what all is going on in these economic conditions not just the quick cliff notes that you see on the whether whatever side you're on the fox news the cnn.com the msnbc the cnbc's you know those business channels we go more in depth and give you some of the history about why some of these things are the way that they are and where that they're trending and dennis all that being said uh i, I know you had, had just said a recent article that you had published but you've been really stating here that a recession is imminent uh, and not really much of a soft economic landing, which is really what we're used to, or you can sort of fake some things there. But in that article that you published, you made the point that the U.S. would uh, you know, already be uh, in a technical recession if it weren't for the government deficit spending. And uh, who knows what that count is up to right now, the, the trillions and trillions of dollars there. But can you explain to the listeners what you meant you know, by all of that there? Yeah. And, you know, Jeremy, this ties in with the October 2023 special report. Uh, which is titled, It's the Debt Stupid, How Unsustainable Debt Levels Might Affect Your Retirement Dreams and Strategies to Consider Now. The, the reality of debt, the reality of the current economy is that there's too much debt to ever be paid. And the bottom line is this, if there's too much debt to be paid, it won't be. That will lead to uh, a recession. Now, that said, uh, you mentioned government debt. We'll talk about that a bit more on today's program. But Government debt now is stacking up at a rate that we have never before seen. Uh, in three months from July through almost the end of September, the government added a trillion dollars in debt. In the last 20 days, the government has added another half a trillion. So government debt is stacking up very quickly. When you look at private sector debt and compare it to a very ominous period of time historically, uh, the, the 1929 period that pre preceded the Great Depression, at that time, private sector debt was about 150% of the economy. Today, private sector debt is about 220% of the economy. Now, getting back to your question with that as context, um, if the government did not have a $2 trillion deficit in spending this year, we would be 
in a technical recession. So here's what that means. The U.S. economy is about $25 trillion annually, a little bit more than that. The government has $2 trillion that it spent that it did not have tax revenue to back up. So the government actually borrowed that money from the Fed. They borrowed newly printed currency. They they, they sold that debt to uh, other buyers around the world. But if you take $2 trillion of government spending and GDP, incidentally, has a number of components, but one of those components is government spending. So if the government had a balanced budget, it would have spent $2 trillion less. $2 trillion as a percentage of $25 trillion is 8%. Yeah, it's significant. So yeah, 8% decline in GDP is not only a technical recession, it's pushing a depression. So when government spending it, it, it goes back to a balanced budget, which you know I'm not I'm not forecasting that will be the case. But if it, it would, it, we would it, be in a recession. And Dennis, uh, I, and I'm sorry to interrupt. Now that that two trillion that you're talking about, that is not just their total spending. This is just spending over what they normally spend. Yeah, government spending is about six trillion. There's about four trillion dollars in total tax revenues, but a lot of those tax revenues are allocated to payroll taxes to fund Social Security and Medicare. But if we just look at what does a government take in and what do they spend, there's $2 trillion that they spend that they don't have tax revenues to back up. And you said so, that they're they're justified for $4 trillion, let's say, but an extra, So, but they spent 6 So that's another 50%. So if you make, Dennis, what I'm hearing is, let's say you make $100,000 a year. You are then spending $150,000 to buy that really cool looking tesla yeah i mean that's that's sort of like it it? and 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 you have to remember that there's already 33.4 trillion dollars in debt so you're buying you're buying that tesla but the reality is you've already got about 35 of them in the garage you haven't paid for so that, (laughs) that 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 addresses really the magnitude of the problem that we have and that's where the october report jeremy helps people kind of sort through what's the end game here what strategies do you consider now? And they can go to requestyourreport.com and uh, just let us know where to mail that report. And we'll be glad to do that. So, well, you also commented, now, this is where it gets to be a lot of things start stacking up here and you can see how things can turn, um, you know, sort of poorly pretty quickly, but about banks tightening up their lending standards, not being able to be as you know liberal with this lending, um, let's talk a little bit about that, that pressure that the banks are are currently feeling right now. Well, banks see the writing on the wall. They are, they are bracing for recession as well. Um, about 50% of all banks now have tightened lending standards. Historically speaking, when that number gets to 40%, we have had a recession. Now, banks have got another big issue. A lot of banks hold U.S. treasuries, U.S. treasury bonds, U.S. government debt in their portfolios. So to to, to drill down to the very basics here, when the government spends money it doesn't have, it borrows money by selling treasury bonds. A lot of banks have these treasury bonds, or to be proper, bills, notes, and bonds. They're, They're called something different depending on the term of the loan. But a lot of banks have those as assets. Over the past three years, I mean, if you go back to March of 2020, when the stock market hit bottom and take a look at long-term U.S. Treasury bonds, they have declined in value as the Fed has increased interest rates by 50% 
over the last three and a half years. So banks not only have had a lot of the assets that they hold, which are normally safe assets, take a beating. Uh, they've also got a lot of loans now that are non-performing. Credit card um, credit cards are at, at an all-time high as far as defaults. Um, we've got the same thing as far as uh, auto loans. So banks are they see the writing on the wall. They're bracing for recession and they're tightening lending standards. So, you know, other signs the economy may be moving uh, toward a recession is business bankruptcies. Uh, number of business bankruptcies is up significantly year over year. And you touch on that here before our uh, next break. And we're going to welcome in Harvey Dent, uh, Harry Dent, excuse me, uh, the Harvard uh, economist uh, to speak uh, uh, there. But uh, can you get into that that topic a little bit? Well, just very, very quickly in the time we have left. When you look at the first nine months of the year, so we're really looking through September of 2023, Chapter 11 bankruptcies, which are commercial business bankruptcies, they're up 61% from last year, looking at the same nine-month time frame. So 61% more businesses have declared bankruptcy this year versus last year. Now, if you look at small business filings, they're up 41%. So you, you have all this easy money. And what, what this really means is that when interest rates are near zero, a lot of these companies that are marginal companies, some people might use the term zombie companies, a lot of these companies are able to make their debt payments. But now, as interest rates go up on their commercial loans, they can't make the payments and they're declaring bankruptcy. In fact, uh, just read as we're recording this today that Rite Aid, the pharmacy chain, now declared bankruptcy. So this is a story that I believe is going to uh, continue to, to to grow. We're going to see this affect more businesses as we move toward recession. Uh, I believe the Fed response is going to be to create currency. That's why we've got a couple of free resources I'll mention here as we go to the break. First of all, the uh, October special report that talks about debt and what strategies you consider. That's available at requestyourreport.com. And you can also get the Precious Metals Buyer's Guide to protect yourself against inflation, potentially. That's at plpmetals.com. We'll be back after these words with Mr. Harry Dent. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the pleasure of chatting once again today with returning guest, Mr. Harry Dent. If you are a longtime listener, you'll recognize Harry as a prolific best-selling author. He is an economist and uh, certainly a leader in the field of demographic research and how it relates to uh, investment performance. Uh, always appreciate his perspective. And, and Harry, thanks for joining us today, and welcome back to the program. Yeah, nice to be back, Dennis. So, Harry, a uh, lot going on geopolitically. That's an understatement. A lot going on in the economy. Uh, consumer debt levels are up. We're still seeing consumer price inflation. Uh, in your view, are we headed for recession? You know, it is. And, and, you know, this is not a normal, you know, consumers just running out of spending power and stuff. It, it, it is two things. It is a second major bubble in both real estate and stocks. And stocks started to crash in 2021, but it certainly have not done what a normal bubble would do when it crashes. And real estate looks like it's just peaking and, and cresting now. These are the, you know, we, we've seen this before. Stocks had a first tech bubble in the 2000, crashed 78%, even in good times with, with, with no significant recession, okay? 
and 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 but and then real estate followed created a second bubble people ran from the tech bubble and said okay well let's 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 drive up real estate and, and speculate on that well that peaked in early 2006 and had a six-year downturn the largest in history 34 percent for average house in the u.s this isn't that, that didn't happen in the great depression so so now we've got a repeat that was two natural bubbles in good times with a lot of growth demographics falling inflation productivity just like the Roaring Twenties. Well, <laughs> since then, it's been two, an artificial bubble created entirely by the biggest uh, stimulus run in history, like over $8 trillion of, of money printing by the Fed and five five point two of that just since COVID. Um, and so this is an artificial bubble, which is worse. Um, this bubble's been longer, uh, you know, and, and, and gone higher. And, and now it is starting to crack. I, I do believe that stocks peak long term. And naturally, they would have peaked in late 2019 uh, and crashed into late 2022. By the way, Dennis, on my cycle work, which, which I think is the best in the world, biggest confluence of long term cycles, a 90 year, what I call super bubble cycle, 39 to 40 year generation cycle and a normal decennial cycle, all bottoming in late 2022. And we did have a significant downturn in stocks in 22, but that is, that is not it. Tell me, I mean, this is a major bubble and bubbles in stocks take 70 to 90% to, to, to deflate. And the real estate bubble, as I said earlier, is just cresting now. So, so this second bubble is clear. It's even worse in general, especially in real estate than the first bubble. And it, ha it is just starting to burst in stock and is about to burst, I think, in real estate. So this is going to be, I think, that the last major crash. But the, also, I've been calling this the crash of our lifetime or the crash of a lifetime, kind of like 29 to 32, two generations back. I think we're going to see it into late 2024, maybe longer. But, but if there's a time in your life you're going to be cautious in investments. And that's everything. Stocks. Uh, uh, normal corporate and high yield bonds, everything but the treasury bonds, which are the safest in the world, the 10 and 30 year. It's now. I mean, this looks like it's happening. And I think the, the big sign will be if we can break the NASDAQ 13,000 will be the first sign that, that we're starting this next wave down. So, see, I got to remember, we, we, I do think we peaked long term in late 2021, November for, for the NASDAQ and January 4th for the S&P 500, and just to follow that. And then we had that first crash, and then we rallied back close to the highs, which to me, the markets are really being uh, uh, bubble-like <laughs> bubble to do that when, when, when after a bubble like this, of this big, it starts to crash. And now I think we're about to head back down. So this is the last chance, and, and I think we should see this, it should be more clear especially a bad January <laughs> would be a, a confirmation. If we continue down here and, and go down into January, then I think we're just going to keep going straight down in 2024 and, and we'll see where it bottoms. But I, I know this sound and nobody else is saying this, you know, you know, even other bearish economists like me are saying, well, we might see 30 to 50% crash. I, I'm saying this is going to be, the closest thing to 29 to 32, just not quite that bad. But I, I think stocks could end up down 
S&P down as much as 86%, the NASDAQ as much as 92%. In other words, Dennis, this is not something to sit through uh, and, and, and see if it's just a normal correction. Uh, we already had an abnormal correction in 2022, and I'm saying that was just the first wave down. We got two more coming, and the next one should take us. People can look back at your stocks or, or, or any index like the NASDAQ or any index you're in, you know, the S&P 500. Where was it uh, at, the, at the COVID lows in, in, in early 2020? That's where just the next wave should take us, and that's going to be a lot farther down than people think. Well, I'm chatting today with Mr. Harry Dent. He is a best-selling author. He is also making available to all the listeners today a free subscription to his weekly newsletter. Go to harrydent.com and sign up. That's harrydent.com. And Harry, you, you mentioned this artificial environment in which we've been operating due to over $5 trillion in currency creation since COVID, which is you know not that long ago. And you know one of the things that I, uh, uh, I noticed, I read a piece that Corporate profits uh, historically are between 5 and 6% of GDP. They're now up to 12% of GDP. And I think a lot of people don't realize uh, how artificial this is and, and all the different areas that are impacted. Um, don't you see that those you know, rising corporate profits are really just taking advantage of free money and, and that's artificial also? It, it is. First of all, the economy, they would have been in a long-term I predicted all the way back to the, to the mid-80s when I started for, using my forecasting tools that we would see a major long-term slowdown from 2008 through about 2022, maybe 23, and that's simply the big baby boom peaks in their spending, and it, and it takes till 2023 till the next generation, the millennials, pick it back up again. So this was a natural downturn, and what happened for the first time in history, unlike the last big one that was from like 1929 to 42, uh, governments decided, oh, well, we can print money now. They, you know, they didn't used to do that then, it's not, except in extreme emergencies, you know, short-term emergencies. They just decide, okay, we're going to print, a, they printed a trillion dollars in, in, in late 2008, early 2009. Bam. I mean, that, that's big. That's 5% of GDP right there just thrown in the economy. Well, that should have given you 5% for a grow, growth for a year right there. Well, that didn't work enough. So they had to keep going more and more. And they ended up printing a, over $8 trillion, unprecedented, you know, 40% of GDP um, over, over the present year, last year. And most of that did come uh, when COVID hit. So that was an extreme overreaction. And that caused inflation, which has been, again, another one of my forecasts, all the way back to the early 80s. Inflation is just going to fall, 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 fall. Again, slowing workforce growth, which is the prime cause of inflation, which economists have no clue about. Okay, It's just going to fall towards, towards zero you know, for decades. And it started, you know, well, it jumped. And that caused inflation to jump to 9.1%. And then... The Fed had to turn around and do the biggest flip-flop in history after the biggest short-term $5.2 trillion in two years stimulus program, 25% of GDP. They turn around and they raise interest rates up to, to they're approaching five and a half now. And I think and it may go a little higher than that. That's the biggest rate rise in 40 years. And the balance sheet, which they built up with all this stimulus, pouring money in the economy, dropped $1 trillion in the last year. That's another. So you got 
sharply rising rates. A trillion dollars has left the economy. Um, so this tells me on a year and a half lag, which is typical, year, year and a half lag, 2024 is going to be the worst year we've seen in a long time. And everybody's hearing, oh, we're going to have a soft landing. And I'm like, first of all, have we ever, ever, ever had a soft landing, out of, especially out of a bubble? And the answer is no, never, never, never. We did even in, in 2000, 2002, when the economy was still strong with demographics and everything else and the technology innovation, we, we had a 78% drop in the stock market. And it was a long time before it went back to new highs. I mean, it eventually went to new highs, which we will not see for a long time now. But, but this time, the economy is at the low end of its generational cycle. It is about to turn up. My problem, Dennis, is the, the millennial generation, the younger generation come along today, is not going to have their fair productive boom if we don't get rid of all these baby, baby boom bubbles and, and, and debt. We have, like you said earlier, record debt levels. You, the, the economy has to flush out bad debts, and it usually does that once a decade, and then even more so once every 30, 40 years in a generation. We have to flush out these bad debts because otherwise they just weigh on the economy and slow it down in the future. So this crash is not just way overdue now by over two years. It's also necessary for our economy to ever have a healthy boom again because our demographics our last surge is into 2037 with millennials, and it's nowhere near the surge we saw from 1983 to 2007 with the baby boomers. So, so, so you know, this is our last. I, I, my next book is going to be called "The Last Great Boom," and that's going to be for America. You know, not Asia, but for America and Europe. This, this is it. Particularly for America, we have strong. We have one more good wave of demographics before we basically slow forever like china and east asia have already begun japan will never and i said this in the late 80s that people thought i was crazy that japan was never going to see new highs in their stock market again never ever and they haven't and they won't and we won't either we're just having the same generational demographic long-term peak from people having fewer kids which comes from being becoming affluent Affluent people always in <laughs> long-term booms because the more affluent we get, the less kids we have. And that means the next boom's not going to be as robust because it's going to be the kids going to drive the next boom and we're going to be dying. The parents going to be dying. So, so this is really an important moment. And, and uh, we actually need this shakeout in our economy so that the next boom into 2037 can actually be a healthy, productive one. Uh, for the young people coming along. Otherwise, we're basically stealing their future. Well, my guest today is Mr. Harry Dent, multi-time best-selling author. You can get his free weekly newsletter at harrydent.com. I'd encourage you to do that. And I'll continue my conversation with Mr. Harry Dent when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tuberg, and I have the pleasure of chatting once again today with Mr. Harry Dent, a multi-time best-selling author, uh, economist and uh, demographic expert. And uh, we are chatting about where is the U.S. economy and where are stocks? And, you know, Harry, in the last segment, uh, you talked about some numbers that were absolutely eye-popping, to use that term. You said it wouldn't surprise you to see the S&P 500 decline 80%, the NASDAQ over 90%. 
those are 1929 type numbers. And, you know, when you look at 1929 and look at the market peak, you were 1954 before you got back to even. I mean, that is a long retirement for a healthy person. Um, are we looking at something similar? Well, what are the parallels and, and where are we in that cycle in your view? Well, you know, it, it is the same parallel on both a 40-year generation cycle and a 90-year super bubble cycle, which, which, which uh, both peaked back in, you know, 1929 was a similar time for that, especially the 90-year cycle, which is the most powerful. So, so this, is, this is a major bubble, and, and bubbles go to extremes, which means when they finally burst, you don't see like a 40 to 50% long-term downturn in stocks like we saw, you know, after the 72 peak. Uh, of the Bob Hope generation, you know, we went down about 50% there. Well, no, they, they go down. I mean, you should expect 80 plus percent in stocks. You should expect real estate, you know, to, to be down 50% instead of 34% last time, that sort of stuff, because cause it's a major bubble peak and it's a major long-term trend turning down. And, and, and this is the biggest confluence of trends. I, I've got, I'm going to put this out in my next newsletter in November that I took all this 90-year super bubble cycle, the 40-year generation cycle, and the natural decennial cycle. If you look back, ever since I've been alive, we've had a, a recession or slowdown in the early part of every decade, starting in the early 60s. And, and, and so all of these come together here, except that, that the Fed has kind of pushed this out. We, we should have already seen this crash between 2020 and 22. So now I think we're, we're just about to head into it. And, and, and we're going to see a bottom more like in late 2024 or, or a little later. So, but, but this has to happen. I mean, you can't, bubbles have to burst. They, they create a lot of, 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 of investment in new things, the next big thing, you know, like, 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 like crypto and all this stuff now. But, but most of those investments always fail. Automobile companies went from 40 down to three in the early, in that roaring 20s boom and the crash after it is a natural cycle. And, and so, so, you know, we have to go through this and the sooner the better, because it, it, it's just going to get worse if we don't. And it's going to compromise the next boom, as I've been saying. So, so I think, but I see right now that the markets look like, you know, we did have that first crash finally uh, in, in, in 2022. Stocks peaked in November and NASDAQ peaked is the one I'm tracking the most in late November 2021 and then had a 38% crash into late 2022. That was the sign. I was telling my subscribers, above, you don't know a bubble has finally burst until you see like at least a 30 to 40% sharp first crash because bubbles have so much movement. That's what it takes to break the bubbles. So I'm saying, okay, that was the peak. Now we had this big, you know, rebound like, oh, it's okay, you know, and the stocks are still, oh, we'll go to new highs. No, I say we don't go to new highs here and I'm getting signs. The markets are just getting ready to roll back over. We just broke out of a very important channel in the small cap Russell 2000 to the downside. Uh, I'm showing that if, if the, NAS, uh, uh, the NASDAQ turns around and breaks below uh, 1300 here um, near term, and that's not too far from here, that's going to be something that could, could increase the downside. I think we've had this big bounce. It's gone even farther than it should have, and I think that bounce has peaked. And we're getting ready to head into the next wave down. And Dennis, the very bad news, there's no support in the stock market for that next wave until we get all the way back to the COVID lows in early 2020. And that's going to mean 
the NASDAQ is going to be down like 60% by then. And that's when I'm selling my subscribers. Okay, folks, that's when people can get out of the bubble head and say, oh, this thing's finally over. Because people, even with this big crash, and even the big crash 2002, even the crash in, in 2022, people expect the market just to keep going up and go to new highs. I say we're not going to go to new highs, and this is your last chance to get out, and, and, and we should see proof of this. And, and the biggest proof would be not only we go down from here, but we continue down into January, which is the golden month, because the markets are almost always up in January, and when they're down, it's almost always a sign that they're going to go down a lot more. And I expect us to go down, and I expect January to be the, uh, the first – down January in a while, and, and that, and then we have the worst year in a long time in 2024. Now we'll see. I mean, uh, my forecasting is is a little less definitive than it used to be once once they took over the economy in 2009 and started running it off purely off printed money. But printed money is much more dangerous because it, like like we've been saying, it's artificial. I mean, I mean the boom, you know, in the the bubble in the 2000 was real. It just stocks got overexcited like they did in the Roaring Twenties. Okay. Well, this whole boom has not been real. We've paved over the next Great Depression, and I think we're going to get a short Great Depression in a couple of years to follow here to get back to even. And that will seem harsh and bad, but it will be the best thing that can happen to the young people coming on today. Otherwise, they're not going to have much of a boom to enter. Uh, I'm talking today with Mr. Harry Dent. His free weekly news newsletter is available at harrydent.com. Again, harrydent.com. Harry, as you were talking, you know, it, it occurred to me that someone who is following the traditional advice of, you know, have a 60-40 portfolio, 60% in stocks, 40% in bonds, and buy and hold, and just, you know, ride out the ups and downs, the market will come back. Strikes me that based upon your forecast, that's going to be really bad advice moving ahead. You know, and, and again, I have to stress, I mean, I like financial advisors. They're more objective. They usually keep people from panic, over panicking and jumping in and out too much, which is generally a good thing. This is just one of those times you have to not listen, okay? Because nobody is seeing this is a bubble of 90-year magnitude that people just aren't going to understand unless you look back as far as I do. This is a generational downturn that started and governments, for the first time in history, decided to play God. And I hate to say that, but that's what they did. Oh, no, we're just not going to have this downturn. The economy knows what the hell it's doing, okay? It booms and allows all the innovations to, to, and, 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 and new generations to prosper. and take it. But, it, but in downturns is when the economy does its real work and sheds all the failed, all the failed debts and all the failed companies and clears the deck and ignites the innovation. And the great innovations never come in the boom. They come in the downturns when we're challenged. So we, have, we can't have an economy that grows at 3% and never has a recession. That's what the Fed and the central banks want. They want an economy that's a machine that grows at 3 to 4% a year and never has a recession. That's an economy that will run out of steam and never innovate and boom strongly again because these cycles are natural and we need the innovations and we need the shakeouts. We have to let con uh, uh, businesses succeed. But, but as George Gilder always said, you know, and I, and I hated to see him fade. He was my favorite economist. You know, failure, everybody says success. You know, the opportunity for success is the key to free market capital. Says, yes, but failure 
is the other important principle. We allow things to fail. Third world dictators and centrally planned economies, which always don't allow things to fail. So you have to allow success, but you have to quickly flush out the failure. That's the secret to free market capitalism. And that's what's been prevented since 2009 to the detriment of our economy. I'm looking forward to this damn crash. I hate to say it. It sounds weird. But this is what I, I can tell you. I've studied the economy for 40 years, okay? And down, not, not technical things and stuff, down to the people that drive it, the people and businesses and, and, and the consumer life cycle, which economists don't even understand, the most important driver. The economy needs this shakeout. You know, we just need to have it and get over it. And if, you're, if you get safe and get into safe, this is a time to not just go into corporate bonds, you got to go into the treasury bonds, the safest bonds, become the safe haven. And you're going to have nine people that sound like me, Dennis, say the same thing I do about this, this bubble and this crash and this over stimulus and all this stuff. And then they're going to tell you to buy gold. Well, well, gold in the, in, in the last crash in 2008 went down 50 percent. It held up for a long time and looked like it was going to be a safe haven. It was not in the end. Gold has tried to get over 2,100 three times here, and it's fallen back. I see gold at 1,000. Then you can buy it long-term because Indians are going to be the next driver of the economy like China was the last 40 years, and they love gold more than any culture in history. But until then, not gold, treasury bonds, 30 years the best. TLT is, is, is a 20-year average ETF fund you can buy, very liquid, all that sort of stuff. That's the safe haven you could make as much as double your money right now if we have this crash in stocks and real estate and everything goes down. The one thing that will go up like 2008 will be these treasury bonds and TLT went up 50% while everything else crashed in 2008. This time I'm calculating it could as much as double. You could be in the safest bonds in the world for the next year or so and see your, your money go up 50 to 100%. Now that's so I'm not telling people to run and get in cash. You can do that because that's preserving your gains. I'm telling people get in the true safe haven already proven beyond a shadow of doubt in the 2008 crisis. It's not gold. It's long-term treasury bonds. TLT is a great ETF to be in. So, Harry, I've got about two minutes left in this segment. This may not be a fair question, but it seems to me in listening to you that we've got demographics that are not in our favor, at least in the next year or two, based on what you said. And then we've got record levels of debt. Isn't this like a perfect economic storm that is just about to come to a head? Well, yeah, it, it is that. And, and it's more perfect. 29 was a perfect storm, but that was a natural bubble, okay? This is even worse, okay? Because this is, that the natural bubble peaked in 2000 and, and the demographic trends peaked in 2007. So, it would have been more natural to have a deeper downturn 2008 to 10 into the decennial cycle. This now, we have pumped up the economy. Stocks have done better than ever in one of the weakest times fundamentals. So we are, the overvaluation of stocks can't even be measured here. This, this is, is, is the worst imbalance in, in, in history. And, and for all I know, I'm, I'm the, you know, I'm the worst forecaster as far as downside, you know, but I, I may be understanding this. This thing, this downturn may last longer because it does so much damage because this is we've never we've seen major generational peaks, 
and, and technology bubble peaks. We've seen this before. We have never seen a hundred percent artificial bubble, a hundred percent again created by government uh, crash, and, and that has got to be the worst type of crash. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. My guest today has been Mr. Harry Dent. Uh, you can subscribe to his free weekly newsletter at harrydent.com. Again, the website is harrydent.com. Harry, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Thank you for joining us today, and I'd love to have you back down the road. Okay, thank you, Dennis. We will return after these words. And welcome back into the final segment of the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Show. We are with the uh, longtime host, Dennis Tubergen. And uh, Dennis, we got to uh, uh, hear the last couple of segments with that uh, economist from Harvard, Harry Dent. And you were, you know, really guys that hit on a lot of different uh, debt issues, too. And you know, going back to our first uh, uh, segment uh, on the program here today, I wanted to revisit that a bit. Uh, you know about pressures on the banking system, and now a past guest here on the RLA radio, Peter Schiff. No, of course, related to Adam Schiff. Uh, recently noted that banks are feeling more pressure now than at the time of the financial crisis. But uh, really, it's a, a, a sort of a different, really a totally different problem. Could you could you touch on that a little more? Yeah, well, I think a lot of our listeners that are old enough, and I would guess uh, many of our listeners are aware of the fact that when the great financial crisis came about in 2007, 2008, we can point to a lot of reasons that that occurred. But one of the reasons was massive derivative exposure. Uh, on next week's program, I'm going to talk with Egon von Greyerts about derivatives. So I'll have everybody tune in next week to to get that story. Uh, but the other big issue, of course, was subprime mortgages. Uh, so we had a lot of people that borrowed money on these subprime mortgages. Many of them were no money down mortgages. Many of them uh, negatively amortized, which means that the payments that were required on the mortgage were less than the interest. So after a period of time, someone actually owed more on the home than when they started. So there was just a lot of lunacy involved in how banks were lending money. So as a as a consequence, many people could not make their payments, and those 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 uh, mortgages defaulted. Uh, now we've got a completely different problem. We have banks that loaned a lot of money out when interest rates were very low on mortgages. So there's a lot of people out there with a three percent plus or minus thirty year mortgage. So it's really not about default now. I mean, we have some defaults. But the bigger problem is, since a lot of people aren't defaulting on a 3% mortgage, the bigger problem now is that banks are going to be forced to pay out on their deposits 5%, 5.5%, but they're still only collecting 3% interest on the mortgage. So bottom line is these mortgages aren't really going bad, but banks really have the same relationship with their mortgages as an individual investor might have in a bond fund. As anyone that's ever owned a bond fund knows, as interest rates go up, the value of bonds go down. Well, as interest rates go up, the value of existing mortgages also go down. So a 3% mortgage is a huge asset for the person that borrowed the money, but it's a huge liability for the lender. So arguably, a default would benefit banks. They could theoretically repossess the home, 
they could resell it to somebody else and they could write a mortgage for seven and a half percent instead of having to have that money out there at three percent. So this is a very, very different situation, as Peter Schiff pointed out, but arguably it's worse because banks are losing money on every single mortgage, whether or not they go into default. This is a bigger problem. In 2007, 2008, the banks only had to deal with those that defaulted. Now, every mortgage that's current finds the bank losing money. So what's going to happen? Are, are we going to have to print a lot of currency to bail out these banks? Arguably, I believe that's where we are going to head because we have money market accounts now that are yielding five and a half percent. And if you're you're paying out five and a half percent on a on a deposit, but you're only collecting three percent on a mortgage, that is a recipe for financial failure. Uh, so this hasn't been talked about a lot, but it's exactly what's going on, Jeremy. And we have a much bigger problem brewing out there. And I imagine too, banks are just having to do that to stay competitive with cash flow as well, right? I mean, that they just they want some of the business coming in here, but would banks really want to offer something where they're losing money or they felt they just have to do that? Well, and banks are, uh, to, to, to attract new deposits, you have to be competitive. So yeah. the Fed has really painted their member banks into a corner here. And I believe, as I've said from day one, the Fed is going to be forced to pivot. The Fed is going to be forced to reverse course and they're going to have to create currency. And I believe essentially what's going on now is they're talking tough, but behind the scenes, they know that this is not sustainable. I think we can sneak in one more question here. And uh, remember, folks, you can always go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. That's the name of this radio show, too, Retirement Lifestyle uh, Advocates Radio Show, or RLA Radio, as well as requestyourreport.com, requestyourreport.com. This uh, month's uh, October issue is a good one. And then uh, plpmetals.com, another one, too. You see where it's sort of going here. But, uh, you know, with central banks, the entities in control of the monetary policy worldwide, They're buying gold right now, and it seems like that's at an accelerated pace. And so what are your thoughts there? Why are they doing that? Well, it's ironic because you're exactly right. That's what happened. It's happening. Uh, In the month of August alone, central banks globally added 77 tons to their reserves. So you have to think about this uh, properly. These are the entities in charge of monetary policy. They're the entities in charge of how much currency gets created, and they are buying gold at a significant pace. Um, You have the World Gold Council reporting that uh, the People's Bank of China added 29 tons of gold to its holdings just during the month of August. China is the largest buyer year to date. And as we've talked about here on the program, China is one of the BRICS countries. That's uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. And they have talked about rolling out a currency that is commodity-backed or gold-backed. So bottom line here is we've got central banks around the world in control of fiat currency issue, adding gold to their reserves. My point is this, as we close out the program, if they're doing it, you should too. I would invite you to learn more by getting our Precious Metals Buyer's Guide. You can go to PLP Metals and request that. Just let us know where to mail it, and we will do that. We also have the October special report titled, uh, It's the Debt Stupid. It talks about the end game here as far as debt is concerned. Gives you some strategies to consider. Uh, You can go to requestyourreport.com and and get that report. Again, that's requestyourreport.com. 
That's all the time we have for this week, but I'll be back again next week with Jeremy and Mr. Egon Von Grayers. Be sure to tune in.